We are going to take a pause this week on our series, Straight to the Heart. Um, I told you last week, like, after all the things that have been happening in our, our country and our nation, I really wanted a chance to have some margin to think and to pray. Uh, and I met with elders this Wednesday, and we talked through these things and prayed through these things, and really feel compelled to bring a message to you today called Ancient Truth for God's People in America Today. So it's not just for America today, it's for God's people in America today. And I think that you'll understand why in just a moment. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and so you can start turning there. My goal today is not to be political at all, but to be pastoral. I'm not here to change the way that you, you vote necessarily. I'm here to pastor a church, and, uh, and that's what I hope to do with this message Today, I want to start while you're getting situated in your copy of God's Word. I want to start in Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn over there, but let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 1, the beginning of what is a, a very important book in the New Testament, right after, you know, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's, he's going to take this gospel to the culture, to the nations, to the world. Uh, he begins to describe what nations can get like, what people can get like um, when once they knew God, but they walk sort of away from him. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, uh, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And I'll just stop there. I think this is uh, very indicative of where we are as a people today. Romans chapter 1. If you have time, read that entire uh, chapter today, Romans chapter 1. What you're going to find is that uh, this futile thinking that the people have, they have it because they, they reject God. They know him, but they reject them. And he, and he does this. It says three times in that passage that God gave them over. This is, in my view, the passive wrath of God, where he's not striking you with a lightning bolt necessarily, but he's saying to you, hey, do it your way then. And that's a scary place to be. I believe this is the backdrop, and I believe this is where we are as a nation currently. Some people would argue with me, but I believe that we're experiencing the passive wrath of God. The past few years have been some of the most contentious in recent memory for me in the United States of America. There have been moments, issues, protests, riots, criminality that all seem to sort of crescendo uh, on January 6th as many gathered at the request of the president to protest a fraudulent election uh, and the electoral college certification of President-elect Joe Biden. Uh, what we know now and what you know is that it, it, it turned into more than a protest. Um, as we were talking as elders Wednesday night, we all agreed, like, we so totally support peaceful protests in this country. That should be something that happens. It's utterly, utterly American to, to have your voice uh, heard. But when something turns into riot or criminality, it's a little bit different. 
And so this seemed to crescendo on January 6th. It didn't happen in a vacuum, though. It wasn't like one event, but this has been, this has been uh, a series of things that are, that are very complicated and fragmented and full of this vitriol that, that brings sort of hatred and animosity and division and discord to the most granular level. In a, in a way, we've sort of been given over to ourselves and... It seems to be evident. Uh, the days to follow have been no less tenuous. We've seen our president impeach for a second time. The days ahead, in my view, will be no less tenuous. There, will, there is so much. The days ahead are so ripe with potential uh, conflict. How are people reacting to that? Well, people are <clears throat> consuming mass amounts of media and information some laced in conspiracies, some wrought with truth. The result, though, of the general population is angst or anxiety for many. It's action for others in positive and negative ways. And it's certainly division and discord even in the church in the United States of America. And what we need in our country is we need healing in our land among our people. That's what we need. And so the question becomes, how can we actually experience such a national healing? And here's, the, here's maybe the, the caviar, the, the, the thing that we need to think about most today. As people of God, as people of God, we make a mistake when we seek a solution to a spiritual problem with political power. We make a mistake. And so here's the thing. I've said this to people many times over the last few years, and many times people have said something like this to me in, in, in rebuttal. You're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. You, you, you pick a way you want to say it, but that's how it gets said. And maybe, maybe that, maybe that is the case. But I believe as a people of God, a spiritual people, that we must be heavenly minded, that we must be kingdom minded first. Make no mistake, I'm not asking you or saying to you, you shouldn't engage politically. I'm not saying don't cast a vote, have an opinion, cast a vote, stand up for truth, all of those things. That's all well and good. We have a responsibility to do so. I think my favorite quote this week came from Robert Nicholson in his article, uh, Christians and Politics, Back to the Basics. Here's what he said. The mingling of religion and politics isn't new. And in the case of Christianity, it isn't even wrong. Jesus didn't preach a banal ethic, self-help technique, or path to prosperity. His message was deeply political, just not in the way most Christians think. You see... Jesus ushered in a kingdom, and after his ascension, left Christians to multiply and be on mission in the world until he returns. We're in a waiting season as people of God. And in that waiting season, we are mission, missionaries here, ambassadors for Christ in America, particularly for us. And our future is clear. A new Jerusalem. I don't know what you thought I was going to say, but it's a new Jerusalem. When you read the scripture and you think there's one king, the sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, there's one kingdom, then what we understand is that we're in a, in a, in a journey from, from paradise and brokenness and sin and being kicked out of the Garden of Eden all the way to a new Jerusalem 
with a redeemer right there that makes us righteous when we couldn't be righteous on our own. So the destination is a new Jerusalem. So hear me, Washington, D.C. is like a waypoint or a way station on a journey to new Jerusalem. It's not the destination. In fact, it won't even last. It won't be here one day. No politician lasts, no president lasts, no policy lasts, no pastor lasts for, for that matter. It's just a waypoint. And we must not lose sight of this important distinction that we are kingdom first. So misplaced hope then in policy or politician is sure to let us down. I mean, how many of you learned in life up to this point? You really can't uh, put all of your hope in a person because a person will let you down. I think we're currently missing the mark as Christian Americans generally in a time when we desperately need national healing. The only place that we can find help for a spiritual problem is is from Jesus himself. And so some ancient truth was given to King Solomon long ago. Look, hear me and hear me well. This is not a promise to America. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If you grew up in church, you've heard this, this particular passage of Scripture used over and over again, particularly applied to uh, Americana. However, this is a promise to King Solomon and to the people of God. It's a promise that goes like this. Solomon, if you bless me, I'll bless you. If you curse me, then you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna experience the wrath of God, the passive wrath of God if you break covenant. So when you see pestilence and you see famine, you see wars, you see bad economy, you recognize all these signs as the passive wrath of God, then there's something that you should do. The people of God should do. So this is a promise for Israel. America isn't mentioned in the Bible. There are many nations that are not mentioned in the Bible. However, this is practical for the people of God. And the people of God here are those in Christ who have been grafted into Abraham. That's all of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. So when we understand that we're under the passive wrath of God in a particular nation, how do we find healing for that nation? Well, this is a a practical guide. So I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Here's what the scripture says. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You could be seated. Now let me just walk through this very uh, slowly. So verse 14 begins with a qualifier. It's like if. It's a big if-then statement. So he's already sort of, Solomon's already been said, look, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place as a, a house. It's the it's, it's talking about the temple. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. If my people. So what people are we talking about? We're talking about the people of God. We're talking about, in our case, this side of the cross. We're talking about you and we're talking about me. Everyone who would follow God through Jesus Christ. So we cannot put this on anybody else. 
We have to own it for ourselves. If my people, and then he gives four things that the people of God must do to find healing for a nation. And here's the first thing. It says, if my people will humble themselves, humble themselves. So we must humble ourselves right now by confessing our sin if we want to see national healing. We, meaning the people of God, must humble ourselves by confessing our sin. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. No, here's the problem. The problem is pride. The problem is pride. We spend more time accusing others than we do humbling ourselves. And that's a problem. It leads to more fragmentation. More difficult. If we want to see healing in our land, then we, the people of God, who know God, who know what it means to repent, are simply going to have to humble ourselves, put away our pride, and confess our sin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Whenever there's a national healing, a national revival, a revival among a people group, it's going to begin in the community of faith, in the household of God. When, When he says household of God, he's not talking about inside these four walls. He's talking about the family tree of God through Jesus, the household of God grafted into Abraham. It's going to have to begin with you and me. So we humble ourselves, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. So this is the thing. If we want to see national healing, we are going to, as the people of God, we must humble ourselves by confessing our sin. Practically, maybe that means making a sin list, being intentional enough to write down, here are my personal sins. I confess them to you. A lot of times when people deal with this, they just say this like blanket, like, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And keep moving, right? You don't have to really deal with what they are. Well, also we need to apply this nationally. Nationally, there are sins, great national sins that we have to list and repent of as people of God. And so we humble ourselves by confessing our sin. We put away pride. Here's the second thing it says that we must do. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Now here's the second thing. We must pray earnestly. We must pray earnestly. But the problem is we spend more time complaining and arguing than we do praying. This is the problem for the people of God. I mean, think about uh, social media or arguments around the coffee pot or arguments around the family table or uh, I mean, I've heard more of it this, this, this past couple years than, than really ever before. We spend most of our time arguing and complaining. Hosea chapter 7, verse 14, the first part of that verse, it says, they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. Like the Hebrew in that is, is the wail upon their beds. It's a picture of like a toddler on the bed just wailing and complaining. They don't cry from their hearts, but they wail like babies, complain loudly like babies. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So ironically, when a nation is in need of healing, the the fight begins to look like we humble ourselves and put away pride. 
We confess our sins and we pray earnestly. I mean, most people, most people pray at, at mealtime or right before bed in very general ways. We need to pray and seek the face of God. I have a, a friend in my life who speaks into my life a lot. He's older than me. He's in his 60s and been a pastor for a long time. And he, he often says to me, I, I feel sorry for pastors who, who, who try to do this without two hours of prayer before they start their day. I remember the first time he said I was like, two hours? <laughs> I would have to give up at four. I'm not really a morning person. Um, but, you know, I'm learning. Man, when we, when we begin to talk about the level of confusion and difficulty and discord in the, in, at the local level, even in the context of the church, I need to hear from the Lord. I need to pray and seek his face. And sa- same with you. It's not just for pastors. It's for people. So we must humble ourselves. We must, we must pray. It's for all the people. But here's the, th- the third thing it says that we, we have to do is that we must seek God's face zealously. So if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I think it's interesting that he throws the word face in there. It's very specific. What does that mean? It means that, that you would entreat the face of the father like a, a, a child does his dad, that you would get close, or his mo- mother, like you would get close and in, in his face, and that you would, you would linger there and be there, that you would seek him, that you would want to hear from him and know, from, know from him what is his agenda because he's the sovereign king of the universe. Deuteronomy 4, 29 to 31 says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, and when you're in tribulation or troubled times and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God is good. He's not going to forget his promises to us, but we have to seek his face in the tribulation. We're not looking for his blessing here when we seek his face. We're not saying, hey, save me from something or rescue me from something or give me something. We're saying, I want to know you. Tell me the mysteries of knowing you. Let me Know your heart. Let me hear your words. Fill me with your spirit. We seek his face. We seek to know him, to be with him, to hear him and obey him. Most people, I'm just saying in general terms, in the 21st century in the United States of America, most people never seek God's face zealously. They think this is it. This is a blip. To seek God's face, get alone with him by yourself and hear from him. To seek God's face, you open his word. I mean, everybody's asking how. Open his word. I had a great conversation with somebody in my family who asked, how do you hear God's voice? Because he doesn't, my daughter was saying to me, he doesn't, doesn't speak to me like, Brian. You know, it's not like that. I'm like, you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't speak like that. We, we, we intentionally, we come to him to seek his face. And so we have this book. How is it that we have this book that he miraculously gave to us? And we call it what? His word. 
So if we want to know what he has to say, we read it, we listen to it, we think about it. What does the if mean here? What does my people mean? What does humble mean? What does seek mean? What does face mean? I want to know, I want to understand. And we listen to him. And it takes time. And sometimes he speaks to us right here. So my daughter said, okay, so how do I know if, he's, if it's me talking or him talking? Everybody ever had that question? How do I know if it's him talking or me talking? It's, it's, sometimes it can be confusing. A lot of times I know it's him talking because in my gut, it's like preaching the sermon. I don't want to preach the sermon. I don't want to deal with it. I, I didn't want to two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I didn't want to last week. However, the Holy Spirit, he, 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 he puts this, this sense inside here, and it will not go away. That's one way. And then you, you track that sense against God's word. Is this what I'm thinking? Is this something that is, is in alignment with God's word? Yes or no. If it's no, it's probably me seeking my own glory. Yes. If it's hard and yes, it's probably me seeking his glory for the good, good of the people. We, we know because he speaks to us in our spirit and we check it against the word of God. But if you're not in the word... You will go bonkers with this thing. And you check it. And you seek his face intimately. The problem is we spend more time seeking everything else than we spend seeking the face of God. That is just the truth. Forget your schedule. Look at mine for a minute. How much time did I spend seeking the face of God this week as comparison to meeting with people or dialoguing with people? or dealing with the stuff of life. We spend way more time seeking everything else. And very, you may say, oh, Pastor Brian, I have a job. I have to go to work. I, I get it. I'm just saying probably you didn't speak, spend any time seeking the face of God last week, generally, as American people, the people of God. Because we think everything happens inside certain buildings, certain days of the week. It's not true. To seek the face of God is to seek him every day. First in the morning, last thing in the evening. But the problem is we spend more time seeking everything else. I've probably mentioned this verse 187 times in 10 weeks. It's Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But this is what Jesus tells his disciples. Fourth thing that we learn, we seek his face and we turn from our wicked ways. Now, you might say to yourself, like, wicked is not a way that I would characterize myself. There's the wicked witch of the West, the wicked witch of the East, and not me. Look, we all have wicked ways. This is why Jesus died on a cross, to turn from our wicked ways. This is written to the people of God. To turn from our wicked ways means that we must turn back to God completely. It's to change our mind. It's to turn away from the things that we're hiding and turn toward God to expose them and bring them into the light and find freedom. It means to change our mind, to go a direction back to God, away from our selfish, sinful, wicked ways. Why does a, why does a nation incur the passive wrath of God? A people that know him incur the passive wrath of God. Why? Sin. Because the way people work 
is when they become uncomfortable enough, they turn to God. I've seen this in my short lifetime. 9-11, people turn to God for a moment. Hurricane Harvey, people turn to God for a moment. You could make a list. This uncomfortable season, this chaotic season, God is using it to bring us back to him. The problem, though, is we don't see our own wicked ways. In fact, we see everybody else's wicked ways. We want to point at their wicked ways and her wicked ways and his wicked ways, and, but we don't see our own wicked ways. And it seems to me that this national healing thing begins in the household of God, with the people of God. So we have to look at our wicked ways. Now, Paul made a list for Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 to 5. There's many lists in scriptures of wicked ways, of sins, of things that are not of God, but here's one. It says, speaking of the end time, it says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. And we do, I have to keep reading. But I will. Disobedient to their parents. That was for the kids. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Okay, so how is Timothy supposed to build a church if you've got to avoid all those people? That's why we need Jesus, right? It's why we need this great redeemer, this one that can save us from our sins and make us righteous. Because apart from that, we are, are this. But when we look at the people of God in the United States of America today, we need to turn away from our wicked ways. This has infiltrated our lives. Our bodies, the bodies, the local bodies of Christ. Now, when we do that, according to this passage, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, here's what God will do. Hear from heaven, forgive sins, and heal their land. Now, catch what his priorities are with his people. Hear from heaven. He's going to listen to us. It's the rebuilding of relationship, and that's his priority, relationship with people. Second, forgive their sins. He's been fighting sin since Genesis chapter 3. He's been coming against it since it's entered the world. He's been uh, redeeming and rescuing and restoring. And so he forgives their sins when they turn back to him. I mean, you're talking about, you're not talking about just a pardon. You're talking about the sovereign king of the universe forgiving every sin. And then he says, I'll heal your land. I'll heal your land. So this happens when the church, when the people of God humble themselves, confessing their sin. When the people of God pray earnestly, prayer is dependence on God. It shows utter dependence on God. Look, you don't know what, we don't know what we don't know. We need God. When we seek his face, it shows our priority. 
what kingdom we walk in, whose we are, who we belong to. When we turn from our wicked ways, it's our behavior, it's our demonstration that says, look, I walk with God. I walk with Jesus. I walk the Jesus way no matter who the president is, no matter what the politics are, no matter what the calamity is, no matter what the issues are. There is one ultimate solution to all of this national brokenness and division. It's a spiritual solution. It's a people of God solution. We will not find our hopes fulfilled in a politician, a party, or a president. Now, we can't expect, as people of God, we can't expect anyone else to do this. We, the people of God, must lead the way. And let me just say this. In recent years, the church in America has behaved badly. And I'm not talking about who you voted for. I mean in where we placed our hope. Again, you had to vote. That's your, citizen, that's, your, that's your right, your responsibility. People died for you to have that right. Vote. I'm not talking about who you voted for. I'm talking about where you put, we put our hope. And you can see it playing out. We put our hope in the wrong things and wrong people, and we cling to that too tightly. Anytime, I mean, look at history. Anytime the church yokes itself to a political party or yokes itself to a kingly power or anything like that, uh, the pursuit becomes the wrong kingdom and the acquisition of power. And yes, Throughout history, it's, the church, including us, have been known to compromise for power. I, I, got, I don't know if I'm unique or not unique, but I got friends on all sides of this issue. I got friends around President Trump. I got friends around President-elect Biden. Biden. Believers, all of them. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter which camp you're in. If you put your hope in a president or a pundit, it will be misplaced. And when the church marries itself to the party of a president or a pundit and chooses the, that party ahead of kingdom... We got problems. It wouldn't matter which party. I'm not saying forsake principle. I'm not saying let go of truth. I'm not saying don't cast your vote. I'm saying seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. If you want to see national healing right now, we have to repent. Not for who we voted for, but where our hope has been. One day someone said to me, you need to take a stand. I feel like I do that every day of my stinking life. But what do you mean? What do you, 
person meant was, you need to stand up for President Trump. I wept. Here's the thing for me. You get, this is clear, clear as I can make it. I'll never preach the gospel of President Trump. I will never preach the gospel of President-elect Biden. I will never preach the gospel of any president or politician. I'll tell you the truth in love about Jesus and how to apply his gospel and keep the kingdom first in application in real time. If you hate it, sorry. I'll make mistakes. I have real political feelings and thoughts and ideas but they certainly do not outweigh the king and his kingdom. And here's what I know. There's a lot I don't know. But here's what I do know. The scripture teaches practically when we're under the passive wrath of God, we simply must repent the people of God. We must turn back to him in order to see national healing. The national healing that takes place It will take place because the people of God aligned their lives with the hearts of God and became salt and light in the neighborhoods that God placed them in and demonstrated the love of God. Jesus said this. Someone else said said this to me. A couple things stick out, but people said a lot of things to me over time, but this one sticks out. Well, Jesus turned over the, the tables in the temple. It's about time for us to do the same. We're like, in justification. Like, sorry, bro. Like, that's whack. That is whacked out theology. You don't know Jesus. Let me tell you why Jesus turned over the temple. the the money changers tables in the temple. The temple is where the literal presence of God dwelled. The temple is where people came to know God, where in the law, the the poor people were supposed to be taken care of. The people were supposed to leave the corners of their fields for the poor people. So all these people come to the temple, they're they're there to sacrifice. Even the poor people got to do their best to make a sacrifice of a pigeon or whatever. And the money changers set up there in the house of prayer where God is taking care of everybody and where his presence is. And the the people, the religious leaders like me, they set up tables and they said, oh, I know you're poor, but today because sacrifices are taking place because the festival, usually a pigeon is one drachma for you today. It's 10 drachma, and they pocket the nine. Jesus overturns the tables of the people of God in the house of God. So if we were to apply that axiom in this case, he's going to come to your house and turn over your your table if you're the people of God. So look, don't misuse scripture. Don't apply it in stupid ways. That's the right word. (laughs) Don't put things on Jesus that aren't Jesus. Understand this. I mean, from the beginning, we get it all the way. And Jesus even says it the same way. He's like, 
Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, one God. He's not competing. These words that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. This word that we have, we hold in our hand. Impress them on your children. How, do, how does a seventh grader have a political viewpoint? Because it's been impressed upon him or her. How does, how does a seventh grader have a gospel viewpoint? Because it's been impressed upon him or her. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. What conversation is going on in that mundane sit at home, walk along the road, lie down, and you get up? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus says it this way. Ask, you know, what is the greatest command? He says, guess what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Except Romans 1 tells us that when God takes his hands off, people go to futility in their minds because they've rejected God. But this, is a, this whole thing is a battle of the mind. With all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He pulls that from Leviticus. So, First Peter 4.17 says this. It reminds us that judgment begins with us. If you want to see national healing take place, I implore you, humble yourself by confessing your sin, pray earnestly, seek the face of God, zealously turn from your wicked ways. It's only us that can do this. 1 Corinthians 11.31, I love this verse because it gives me hope. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. It's kind of like if we could see what it is and judge it for ourselves and, and, and walk the right way, we wouldn't receive the, the wrath of judgment as, as a, a people group. So maybe we need to open our eyes. It's time to live our part. It's time to do our part. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, our God will do the rest. He doesn't forget our, his covenant, his promise. The destination is New Jerusalem. Washington is a waypoint. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight of that. When everything is confusing, when you don't know who to believe, spend more time in prayer, more time hearing from the Lord, more time repenting of your sin. Jesus said, look, before you take that, that, that speck out of your brother's eye, why don't you take the log out of yours? This is the people of God. This is what we have to do. And our God will do the rest. I fully suspect that the political days ahead are not going to be fun. But we can cut through all of that if we will fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted by it. Engage in it, vote, stand up for truth. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Live for the new Jerusalem. Don't live for the waypoint. Don't live for the way station. I'm for America. 
I love America. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to give my passport back. I don't want to be, I don't want to live in another country. I'm called to America. I love America. I want the best for this nation. And here's what I know. (laughs) Right now, we're getting what is right in our own eyes. Not what is God's best for us. Because we walked away, and we put our hope in the wrong people, in the wrong place. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to lead us through a time of prayer. This will be short and will not be the last time of prayer on these issues, but we'll begin today. So would you bow and just confess your sin before the Lord, any sin that you have that you need to confess, just lay it down and receive his forgiveness. Humble yourself in that way. Would you pray for our nation and ask God to hear our prayer, ask God to heal our land, ask God for revival that begins with a church like ours and many churches in the U.S. that we would humble ourselves and come back to him. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, sovereign King of the universe. You hung the moon and the stars and you spun the planet into motion. You set the sun at just the right distance so we could live. You made gravity and oxygen and the intricacies of our bodies and you gave us feelings and thoughts and emotions and intellect and and, and yet you, you enable us to have relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And we thank you for all of it. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There's none like you. And it's all about you. And Father, help us to stay clearly focused on the destination. We repent, God, when we have placed our hope in idols or, or presidents or policies or parties. We repent of that. In Jesus' name, forgive us. We humbly seek your face. We come back to you, confessing our sin. Would you hear us, oh God? Would you hear us and we heal our, our land? We don't like the division. We don't like the chaos. We don't like pandemics. We don't like all of this stuff that's been going on in our Our nation, God, it's so volatile and has divided people in weird and crazy ways. God, would you heal us? Begin with us, the people of God. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and 
And Lord, give us a heartbeat to seek your face above all else and trust in you above all else and live for your kingdom above all else and help us to love people like you do. You're sovereign. None of this surprises you. You're using all of it to refine us, to prune us, to bring us back that more fruit might come for your kingdom's sake. And so, God, we say, even though we don't like all the things that are happening, we say, if this is what it takes, God, if this is what it takes to bring us back to you, that we would be close to you, God, then may it be so. May your church be near you, not just saved and forgiven, but intimately involved in, in, in a relationship with you and engaged in the expansion of the kingdom every day. God, heal our land, protect us in these days ahead. Use us, your people, for your glory and your honor, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.